Hello and welcome to Wonderful. I'm David Pearl, the founder of Street Wisdom, and this is a podcast we've designed for anyone who wants to get some inspiration on the go. Today, a lot of us are listening to podcasts while we walk. Wonderful is a podcast designed specifically for that, a podcast to walk to, something to put a bit of wonder in your wonder. You're welcome to listen to this as you wander around your home or lying on the sofa even, you'll find inspiration is actually everywhere. But if you've got a bit of time, and let's face it, we've all got a bit of time, let's boot up and head out into the street. So, wanderistas, wanderellas and wanderfellas, wander friends, wander buddies, hello, it's David, welcome to Wonderful. Um, Hope you've been well, having a wonderful time. For this episode, I, it was cast my mind back to a time when I was a kid. I used to have this sort of, have this image. I was kind of puzzled that people didn't speak to each other more on the streets. That's certainly true in the town I grew up in, which is London. They might shout at each other, but they didn't speak to each other much. And I had this image, this kind of dream image of, uh, when, when I was a kid, there was a thing called the post office. The, general, the GPO, and they looked after the post office, but also the telephones. And occasionally a telephone would go wrong, and an engineer would rock up, and they would pick up a manhole cover, and they would um, go down into the, under the street to fix it. But they put up a little tent, canvas tent, over the top of it, with sort of two-person kind of tent with a, a rounded top. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if every street there was one of these at the end of it, which was kind of a conversation tent, and you could just, there were two chairs, go in there, and you could sit and have a conversation. Um, and that's remained a kind of idea at the back of my mind, and then, blow me, I discovered someone's done it, actually done more than that. Back in 2014, 2014-15, I think, there were a couple of San Francisco-based psych- psychotherapists who were uneasy, un, unhappy, I would say, about the amount of um, isolation they were seeing, the amount of violence on the streets, the amount of inequality. And that a brilliant and simple idea, like all of the best ideas, they're simple. Which is, what about if they were to set up chairs on sidewalks uh, around the town and just ask people if they would like to be listened to. Would you like to be listened to? Stop complete strangers and ask if they've been listened to. Well, it was a simple idea. It's now a movement, the sidewalk talk movement. And one of its founders and the person that leads it today from Germany actually is the amazing Tracy Rubel. She's our guest for today. You'll hear from her in a second, but a little bit about Tracy. Uh, she is. I think it's fair to say a force of nature. She exploded into my life via LinkedIn. Not that likely a way of doing it, right? Because most LinkedIn messages you get are trying to sell you something. But there was something about Tracy. She just reached out, made contact, and I thought immediately I'm going to talk to this woman, which I did. I called her straight back, and she had that quality about her. She's like um, someone I've known forever, like a, an old friend. And I think what one of the reasons for that is that she's somebody that does good but without any trace of do-goodery do you know what i mean there's no nothing self-regarding about or, or kind of she's, she's a kind of humble braggy about tracy um i talked to her a bit 
in this conversation about why she set up um, Cyborg Talk, and she's you know just amazingly refreshingly candid. Like, like all of her guests are wonderful. She's flawed and fabulous. I think that's even true of our producer Andrew. Andrew, are you flawed and fabulous? Definitely flawed. He's thinking about fabulous. I think there's a bit of fabulosity in there. Mostly flaw, of course, but I don't think I'm going to say very much more other than um, if you've ever wondered what it would take to make our cities more friendly, make the distance between you and strangers maybe a little less resistant, if you like, make make it easier you know to reach across that space between us and and just talk and and and, and be heard then 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 listen to tracy she is amazing So Sidewalk Talk, I wish I could give you like this elevator pitch, but it's one of those projects, and I'm sure Street Wisdom is the same way. Has Street Wisdom completely changed you? And then your intention behind it changes year to year? Because I think if I were to be, if I were to share the shadow side of Sidewalk Talk without any of the fancy branding or marketing, it was probably a really young part of me that wanted attention, right? If I were to be super honest, okay? Um, But at the same time, I was wickedly, incensed with injustice in my own American culture, but at the same time, super over my self-righteous friends who seem to have a really beautiful lecture for every single person on how to solve the problem. Like, why don't you just shut the F up and sit down and start listening to people? (laughs) I mean, I find sometimes therapists to be some of the most self-righteous human beings I've ever met. And I'm like, oh my God, just (laughs) shut up and act like you don't know because you don't actually know. And listen to more and more people. And so uh, it's changed me. I'm, I'm, I'm like super humble now. I think I, I think I went in with the intention of being humble, but I don't think I really was. Mm. And now I realize how freaking dumb I am. I'm like, oh, Tracy, you know nothing. And is that tr- – so, Tracy, for those who don't know, in essence, when I think sidewalk talk, I <laughs> think Tracy has the, the audacity – Tracy and her volunteer trainee trained friends uh, set up seats, chairs uh, on streets around the world and invite strangers to sit opposite them and be heard. Am I right? That's exactly what we do. Yeah. And does the humility you're experiencing, did that come from lots of conversations listening to strangers sort of basically incinerating your expectations or how did that happen? It came from really confronting my own bias about people when someone would sit down and I would make an immediate assumption about them and be completely and wildly incorrect about them. It came from wildly feeling how in love I could fall with a human being after a 10 minute conversation. I'm like, oh. whoa, this is a stranger I've never met before. And my heart just like sort of expanded 10 times larger than my body Mm. Uh, I've gotten some, you know, I like listening to young people because they educate me on all the latest slang and the cool <laughs> stuff. And so I feel a little younger. Yeah. Um, I don't think I paid as much attention to 
economic injustice until I started listening on sidewalks and mm. really hearing the stories of people that don't have homes. Mm. And we have all kinds of ideas that they're a one kind of person kind of thing, but mm. there's so many stories that inform why somebody doesn't have the money to afford a place to live. Mm-hmm. So just, just getting out there and meeting what's really happening it was humbling in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. And we did this weird thing where we raised a little money and traveled across Southern states that tended to vote differently than I would vote in political elections Mm -hmm. uh, after the last U S after Donald Trump was elected president. And so Mm -hmm. we got to listen to people around their political views. And that was interesting too. And in sidewalk talk, do is it a forgive me because I've never done it, uh, but I've. I, but you, know, you will. But I will I be so coming will. to your house, and we oh, will be totally. doing it. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of this as a kind of virtual sidewalk talk, although neither of us are on the sidewalk. But um, is it a two way thing? So, so the volunteers are, I'm guessing, trained and disciplined about listening and not, not certainly not, you know, making it about them. But is is there to and fro? How does that work? There's to and fro only when it amplifies the voice of the speaker. Because sometimes, for example, I can tell you a story. I was at this event, listening to the foyer of a neurodiversity event. And a woman sit down, sat down and said, I'm really lonely. Do you ever get lonely? And I said, yeah. She goes, would you be willing to tell me about it? I said, sure. And so I told her what makes me lonely and that I'd been recently struggling with loneliness. And Oh, I'm so glad you told me. She goes, I was sure that you were going to just kind of toss the ball back over in my court and leave me hanging here with all these feelings. And she said, it was meaningful to me that you actually were vulnerable too. Mm. Some, not all listeners feel as comfortable maybe as I do at sharing something so vulnerable, but I find that when you share a little bit, there cre- it creates an equality. We have this mantra. It's a, I think it's a Pema Chodron quote that um, compassion happens between equals. And so we're really looking at this other person who struggles with the same struggles as we do. And so if sharing something of my own life creates more equality between the two of us than I Mm. do, if it creates less, then I don't. Mm. That's so interesting. That that little phrase just undid a knot in my head because compassion so often presupposes there's a kind of a primary and secondary person kind of in the in the dialogue with and the compassion giver is of in some way more fortunate or, or more more generous or whatever it is but but between equals that is beautiful and how does how do you know when the talk is done hmm. well sometimes if we're in a busy spot we'll have a not always but sometimes we'll have in my chapter in San Francisco because I sat in the same location for four and a half years sometimes we'd have people waiting so we would set people's expectations that we're going to have a 10-minute chat. So there's a preordained sense of how long. If there's nobody waiting, we kind of wait until there's a, a lull or the sometimes the talker is on the way to the train station. And so the train dictates how long they talk for. Other times we're saturated and we'll say, well, it seems like we're at a closing point. Um, so it, just like in any conversation, it happens kind of naturally. And bef- before this, were, are you, were you a natural connector with other people, nat- natural strain, uh, you know, talker to strangers? Is that Tracy? 
I think I'm a talker to strangers. I think I do that anxious talking thing, though, and then I, I want your attention kind of thing. Uh-huh. Listening is really a revolution for me because uh-huh. um, I didn't realize it was so darn pleasurable. I think I think everything, at least I don't know how it is in, in the UK, but everything in American culture seems to celebrate extroversion, celebrate talking, performing, entertaining. And I think I had totally bought off on that shtick. Mm-hmm. And... I think when I first started listening, I thought I was doing this good thing, but it's super pleasurable to listen to other people's stories and start listening in a way where you can elicit more of their personal story. It's just incredibly gratifying and enlivening. And is that, I mean, maybe you don't know why, but is that a bit like listening to a great story on the radio or is there something about it being an act of service that's gratifying? So say more about that. You know, you'd have to interview every listener. For me, I feel a little less alone. When somebody shares their story and they're willing to share the universe that's going on inside of them in that particular moment in time, Mm. for me, it's not so much the act of service. I don't get as in touch with the act of service with the people that sit down and talk to me. I feel that more with the other volunteers. I can feel my serving the other volunteers and doing the organizing and writing social media posts and that stuff. But when I'm listening, I just feel, oh, gosh, I'm not alone. I'm, I'm human with you. And that feels really good. Has your experience, we were talking before about um, professionally, I would bet a lot of people look at you and think, that's a bright spark. That is a fount of endless positivity, if you want to use that word, and, and of love and sparkle. Um, but, but, but that there are days when we are not like that. There are days when we are grumpy and we are down. Has the experience? Would, would you? Is that a fair? Is that a fair assessment? Yeah. No, I'm a I'm an anxiety sufferer. I want to be liked. So there are some people that don't agree with how I'm leading this project, or I'm a white gal who makes all kinds of blind, wildly, you know, uneducated, uninformed. Uh, choices based on my privilege, even though I've been working on social justice for a while, although I'm super brave and don't, you know, I'm like, yeah, I just make mistakes. But yeah, sometimes um, I think the hardest thing has been because I am a combination of anxious, brave, and super high energy. um, I don't realize that I garner a certain kind of envy from people. And that has been the most painful because people will project all kinds of stuff onto me or feel competitive with me in ways that I'm not inviting. Mm. And so the more I get out into uh, public arenas, that part has been the, the, the most painful and icky. Sometimes it makes me want to hide a little bit. Mm. So if I go to an event, somebody else's sidewalk talk event, there's another chapter leader. I said, please don't tell them who I am. I just want to be a listener. I don't want to have this whole, oh, that's that's true. Because then people get all anxious around me and get weird. I'm like, just, just say I'm Tracy. Nobody needs to know. <laughs> it's also quite fun. I could imagine being a kind of secret shopper kind of thing. I've done that a couple of times in Street Wisdom. I've turned up at I've just turned up with events and I haven't introduced myself. And it's I love hey, I love to see how different people do it, right? But I'm always kind of gently amused when they'll say things like okay this is how this is done and there'll be something which i do not recognize 
at all, which has somehow through kind of Chinese whisper experience kind of been passed down as the way it's done. And you know what? It could very well be the way it should be done. But it just amuses me. There are these kind of um, rituals that kind of, that kind of, you know, emerge in an organization. Mm-hmm. Well, I also think leadership is interesting. And when I get to go to other leaders' events, I feel like I feel so much gratitude for the people that are leading. I have this new relationship to leaders. I think at one point a few years ago, I made this, <laughs> this is funny. I made this LinkedIn video and posted it on LinkedIn and said, thank you to every boss I've ever had. <laughs> so I had no idea what a pain in the ass I was. And thank you. Oh my God, leading is so hard. And so I, I oftentimes will feel that for the other leaders. I'm like, oh, thank you for leading me today. I feel so appreciative. Yes. Yes. Isn't that wonderful? It's a bit like when you have a massage and somebody takes over the body in a way to take charge and you can surrender to that touch. I find that amazing every time Mm -hmm. it happens. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me some of the terrible things you did. There's, you know, Tracy Rubel star, not in terrible bosses, but stars in the film, terrible employees. So what, how, how have there ways in which you have made life difficult for your previous bosses? Well, it's funny. My very first boss just commented on one of my LinkedIn posts, Mike Simpson. I think he was one of my first bosses and frankly, one of my best bosses. Um, but his, um, I asked Mike when I left publishing and went into high tech, I said, so you're going to give me a good review, right? He says, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll give you a good review. I said, well, so what exactly is this review going to be? He goes, well, I'm going to tell them that you're high maintenance, but worth it. <laughs> oh, my God. I I don't know that that's actually (laughs) what I want you to say, but we had that kind of relationship. And frankly, it's kind of the truth. I think I was really anxious and needed lots of reassurance from him. I think I, you know, one of another CEO, um, oh God, I had this, I tried to quit a tech company that I was working for. And I went into his office and I said, look, um, you know, I got a little coaching from the senior vice president about this conversation. And he goes, you know, the problem with you, Ruble, and I don't know what it is why people call me Ruble. It's just left over from my athletic days. He said, you don't know when to give C-level work. It's like, it's always got to be A-level work with you. And you've really got to learn how to do that because you burn yourself out. Second, he said, you were really high maintenance. I'm like, God damn it, this fucking thing is going to follow me around. And so, but this time I'm a little older, a little wiser. And I said, well, I said, I know that high maintenance is a phrase that we throw around at women a lot in the workplace. And we could just say I'm high maintenance, but that wouldn't really get us anywhere, would it? This is what I'm saying to the CEO, right? Because I have the balls to talk to people in power like this. And I said, what would really help me is if you could really articulate in very specific detail how it is that I'm high maintenance, because it could probably really help me. He said, oh, what an interesting question. So then he whiteboarded all the ways that I'm high maintenance. (laughs) As a good Silicon Valley company does. And it wasn't, I said, oh, I'm not actually high maintenance, but I make myself high maintenance because I'm terrible at asking for my needs to be met. He goes, yes. He goes, what's really going on with you is you were overworking and you're being underpaid. And rather than quitting, Tracy, you should have come into my office and asked for a 30% raise. I said, really? Would that have worked? He goes, I don't know. I said, well, how about I don't quit and you just give me a 30% raise? He said, okay. 
And that's what happened. That is, that's like a scene from an Aaron Sorkin episode. It, it, it's, and and we, we didn't like each other, me and the CEO, oh. but we had, we didn't like each other as friends, but we both professionally respected the hell out of each other. It was the most interesting professional relationship I've ever had. Mm. I really respected him a lot. And I think he really respected me a lot. We had one of those coachy types that sat outside his office that managed all the soft conversations that he didn't want to have. Mm. And he said, I'm not going to say his name, but he told me, he goes, well, Mr. CEO is kind of afraid of you. I said, what? He goes, yeah, yeah, you intimidate. I said, this isn't possible. He's been an executive at really, really big companies. He goes, no, you, you kind of, you scare people. And I'm like, okay, didn't know. But it was this inner, this was unwillingness or inability to say what it is that you really wanted. Did you know that you wanted a raise or? No, I didn't even know. I mean, what he really helped me see, I mean, it, he did a bit of psychology with me. He helped me see that I wasn't even tracking what I needed huh. and wasn't even thinking it was possible then to make a request to get that need met. Huh. It just immediately went into that disgruntled, hopeless well and so therefore I had to just leave. He says, no, that's not how it works. Yeah. You remind me of a, a friend of mine told me this story about two guys going to a bar. It doesn't have to be guys, but let's imagine it's guys go to a bar and one of them orders a Coca-Cola and it arrives and he looks glum. And his friend says to him, uh, why are you looking glum? He said, oh, you know, I, I was hoping for a kind of umbrella and a you know a little paper umbrella and some you know some some lemon would have been nice and some ice. And the guy says to him, "Did you ask for a lemon? Did you you know did did you ask for an umbrella?" And he thought, "No, I didn't. Maybe you should ask." I, I, you know that was the basic idea: is are we are we asking? Are we, are we you know are we prepared to live with disappointment? Or are we willing to ask for what it is? That, or do we even know what it is that we want? It's interesting. But then I think that as I've stepped into a leadership role, do I make myself approachable enough as, as a leader to have people feel safe enough to believe they could ask? Yeah. There's a, it's a two-way street there too. Yeah. And I think what he doesn't realize, this boss, is that he's a man and I'm a woman. And this is where intersectionality comes into play in the workplace, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. There's an intimidation factor there. I didn't know. I'm like, it didn't even occur to me that I could be intimidated to him. I'm like, I'm a woman. I'm a young woman. You're like the senior executive and you're a white dude. You've been doing this a long time. I'm, I, I'm fascinated with sidewalk talk because it's a, like, as I said before, it's like looking across a valley and seeing a, a sister organization and just thinking, oh, we're not alone. And um, you, you do something that's complementary and daring and beautifully simple and inspi you know, inspiring. It was literally inspiring. We, we've redone our uh, website and, and in the middle of it is a film which I've redone. And I was inspired by you. There was something about the fact that you put yourself in the middle of the film that, that encouraged me to do the same. I didn't want to really draw attention to myself, but you taught me, I think, that be the, articulate the vision because you, you you know the vision comes from you that's part of what a leader does so i'm going back to sidewalk talk for a moment if i may yeah no please just to ask about when i first heard about it it was really interesting when you you say the the, the question you ask people is not <clears throat> well a 
you don't seem to be selling anything. And this maybe this relates to your, your work as a salesman. There's, there's an absolute absence of sale. And I'm wondering if that surprises people. And also the question you ask, which is not do you want to talk, but do you want to be heard? Or I'm not sure if I've got the words right, but is, is that correct? I, let's just pretend you're on the sidewalk right now. You ready? I'd yeah. smile at you just like yeah. this. Say, yeah. hi, how's your day going? It's Would you- really good. Most people don't say that. They're like, really bad. Like, oh. really <laughs> no, they just look at you like you're crazy. Um, would you like to sit down and be listened to? Oh, that works. Would you like to sit down and be listened to? How could you say no? Especially if your listeners at home or listeners in the in the street. This is Tracy Rubel saying that. I mean, I'm definitely sitting down. How often do people just say no thank you or wonder pie? I mean, what's the hit rate, if you like? On on busy traffic days, probably one in twenty sit down, okay. right? Because some people are walking in groups. But um, I don't know. There's been really cute moments too, where people are standing there waiting for us to hurry up and get our chairs set up because they're ready oh. before we've even started inviting them because wow. they because they know us. You know, yeah. I think my favorite moments isn't being recognized for being Tracy. I love, I just got a call actually from a friend of mine. She said, Tracy, I was in LA last week on a business trip and I saw a man walking down the street wearing a sidewalk top t-shirt. And so I yelled out, hey, are you a sidewalk talk? And he did a thumbs up and she said it was so cool yeah. that we both knew what we were about. Mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty rad. My my dream, one of them with street wisdom, which has again happened. I mean, it's it's uh, it wasn't planned. It's kind of emerged. But there's something for me about being on a f- on a street somewhere in a town and looking up and seeing a street a street wisdom walk happening, mm. and where it's become. It's it's. I love when it's many steps removed from from me. You know, because I, I then know that it isn't my whatever charisma I might have or influence I might have. It's way beyond that. There's just something somebody's picked up something and made it made it meaningful for them. That that mm-hmm. that's a real that's a real thrill, real thrill. Yeah. How do people deal with one of the things that I find difficult? Um, and this is what's behind my questioning is is I don't like people to say no. Mm. And I really, and I've noticed it more in the last few years when I'm I'm generally quite confident in uh, myself and I know that a a no won't kill me and and I'm very clear what's going on and I still feel it. I still don't want to be told, I don't want to ask a question to which the answer is no. How do you, um, do do any of your volunteers experience that they get crestfallen when they offer something which is actually very generous and people say no (laughs) or worse to them i it's probably the most important lesson or area that i currently gain from is tolerating the no because no is a representation of a boundary right and all boundaries are between two humans is the is is really the defining ground of what I need in order to be in connection with you. And if I'm saying no, I'm saying I'm not available to be in connection with you. Now, there could be a whole bunch of reasons. This person could be making assumptions or blah, 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 blah. But, you know, when we're little kids, 
That's where my psychobabble is going to come in. When we're little kids, we don't like no because we're on our way to a goal. We don't like having our sort of directionality being thwarted. But as we age into adulthood, we need to develop the capacity to hear no with grace and not make it all about us. Mm. And so for me, I really go meet the part of myself that's hurt by that. And I get to meet this very sweet part of me over and over and over again that is getting hurt every time someone says no and takes it personally. Um, I think I get really hurt when somebody is a chapter leader for a while and then they leave. I'm like, oh. But then I go, okay, but they're saying no. And I get to go say hello to the part of me that's feeling impacted. So it's a two-way street. When I'm building my resilience, I'm honoring this other person, but I'm also meeting this part of myself that's quite sensitive to yeah. the no. And does anything happen in the meeting? You just meet, you you kind of, because I'm, and it sounds a bit psychobabbly, but I'm with it and right with you in that. You know, I, I get that. You, you know, there's something joyous about waving at that part of you and going, hi, I, I see you. Um, do you have a conversation? I mean, what happens when you meet that part of you? Oh, yeah. I'm totally having this like cherish fest right now with a bunch of young, tender parts of me. You know, I mean, I just, I, you know, I had a teen mom. I wasn't a wanted baby. Um, and I'm in a new, deeper layer with these tender parts of me and, and in an ongoing dialogue with cherishing this part of me. Because then I don't have to do all this precocious acting out and then need you, David, to confirm my value as a human. I'm not saying that I don't need validation because all humans need validation, but it's not my only source, right? So, um, yeah, I'm kind of in love with myself in a different kind of way, not in that narcissistic way, but, um, and it just makes me braver because I can look at really cruddy things that I do too. And I'm like, oh, that's another part of me. <laughs> yeah, I'll have a, I'll have a talk with her. We'll have a little inner committee meeting later. I'd love to give our listeners a game to play. You mm. talk about playful being one of your things. So I always think of these as, as little plays, little games, but a practice also. I've, I find the two very, very close. Um, and a little sidebar here. Again, having met you, you sparked this idea again in me where practice became an incredibly important word. And I now see street wisdom as a practice, not a practice like violin practice, which is something you do as well as life, but practice as the maybe the Buddhists see it, which is as it, it is a way of living, something mm -hmm. you weave into. The mm -hmm. act of, you know, life becomes the practice. Um, but I'd love to give people a little game or mm -hmm. uh, jeu or experience. And I'm wondering whether you could suggest anything uh, to help them meet the world. Mm our listeners are wandering along listening to this. They've got their buds in. They may or may not want to meet a person. That's not the, that's, that's an option, but is there any ways that you traces your, as, as you're running around the vineyards of Heidelberg um, <laughs> or dashing to the hairdresser? Um, have you found cool ways of meeting the world in fresh ways? Yeah, for sure. The parts thing has taken over my life. I think, you know, I came up in gestalt therapy, which was all about parts, but there's another model of therapy that's in vogue right now called internal family systems with Dick Schwartz. And so I'll be walking around the street. And I think I've mentioned to you before, I do try to really 
you know, this cherishing of our most tender selves is not something that many of us got enough of, not because we had terrible parents, but parents are busy or different schools of thought on not overindulging your children. Children really like to be cherished. And what I mean by that is that gaze, you know, that gaze when you walk in that just says, I see you, I love you, I honor you, I'm taking care of you. It's just um, a wordless moment of wonder. And sometimes I find it very fun to walk around the streets and give people that face. And they'll think it's a little insane, right? But some of them become so touched. It's incredible. And then invariably, what starts to happen is that I become more in touch with those parts of me that want to be cherished in that tender way too. Mm. It's almost like giving it to somebody else is giving it to myself. Mm. And so one, I, I spend time giving people the cherishing face. And then two, some people kind of, I call them the cherishing face or I call them, you're definitely one of these. I call them the people with the sparkly eyes. <laughs> you know, we were talking to you and I last week about our, custom shoes and I had broken my foot in December and I have these new orthotics and I need to find a way to get back to the guy who made my orthotics because he's one of these people with the sparkly eyes. I just feel so happy in his presence. He just mm. sparkles, right? And so what I'd also invite is when you see somebody that sparkles, notice what parts of you arise to meet their sparkle. Mm. It's usually many parts but oftentimes, if we can really study the different parts of us, I have a five-year-old that'll come up and say, do you want to play? And then I'll have a 12-year-old that'll try to precociously get them to stick around, mm. right? Mm. And then I'll have like a 24-year-old vixen that'll try to be sexy and, and sort of seduce them. I mean, it's I know it's silly, but um, these moments of encountering people who are really available for being encountered are those sparkly people. And we really can encounter more parts of ourselves too in those encounters. So you don't even have to talk to them. You know, it can just, just be, you see them, you can see this, you know, the sparkly people when you walk by them and maybe they're having a sparkly day, right? We're not sparkly all the time. I love it. And it's, you say it's silly. That's you being self-deprecating. I don't think it's silly at all. I think it's, it's, it's daring. It's imaginative. It's, 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 it's awake. It's being awake. Um, one of the things that I often do is I, I don't actually see auras. I don't know if they exist, but I imagine I can. And I, and I, and I look for people who seem shiny, you mm -hmm. know, who just are shining out. And I, I don't know how you know, but you know. You look and you just see, boing, someone that's brightly colored. Not in the sense of how they're looking, but around them you get this sense of. And so I think maybe it's a similar, similar. this twinkly eyes, it's this sense of um, we've got this radar and it's part of our navigation system and it's saying, David, Tracy, Go towards that. Go towards the light. You know, go towards the brightness because that brightens you up. There's one more thing I want to add, please, because go. I don't want I don't want to give sort of weight just to the sparkly people because there are people that aren't feeling so sparkly that need connection, right? Mm -hmm. So the other invitation as you're walking around the street is to amplify your own sparkliness. I, I call it. My clients all know this. So if they were to hear this, they'd laugh. They're like, we do this in therapy. 
But I invite my clients to put themselves in an egg. And inside that egg, they put whatever is nourishing to them. So it can be, it's like Mary Poppins carpet bag. It, Mm. It can be as big and vast as you want that egg to be, but outwardly it's only two feet. But you have to make your egg so nourishing and fulfilling that you could come across somebody that is not in a sparkly place and not actually catch their emotional flu that they happen to have that day. Mm. And also not impose your sparkliness on them, but meet them too, that Mm. you can meet them too without feeling depleted. Mm. Mm. And so all last year I had a very, every year the visual inside my egg changes. I had a very weird visual all last year. I had a forest, a snowy forest, vast snowy forest, utterly silent, with little yellow fuzzy birds in the trees. So Jungian friends, please analyze away. Uh, So happy though. It was silent, but joyful, right? And I could just walk around and be on the street and there could be utter chaos going on. But here I am in this snowy, silent forest with all these fuzzy baby birds and I could listen to just about anything. And is that escapism or is that creativity? What is that for you? I think that's using metaphor, and creativity to create resilience Mm. so that you can stay in connection with somebody who might be in a really dark place. So you're not using spiritual bypassing to not be touched by their dark moment, but that you are actually more resilient to stay with them in that space without leaving them. Now it would become crappy if you were like, well, you should just feel positively and be sparkly like me. And whenever I'm having a dark day, I just want to flip people like that, the bird and tell them go fuck themselves. I'm like, I hate your guts right now. You suck. I don't feel sparkly. Just can you hang out with me and just be human for a minute? I remember I had a lovely time. This is another story. And I, I, um, when I was an intern, the state of California had furloughed a bunch of their state employees because they had an economic crisis. So it took like 10 months for me to get my license, something that should have taken like eight weeks. And my license number ran out. And me and my supervisor were both under the impression that they will, would do a continuation. We found out with 24 hours notice, no, you have to actually call every one of your clients and say that until further notice, you cannot see them with no notice. And I'm like, what? This is insane. And so I just finished my session with my supervisor. I pulled off on the side of the street and just sat there. And I'm like, I feel really sad. So I'm just going to sit here on the street and I'm going to bawl my little eyes out because that's what I need to do. And I decided I was going to hold space for myself and just sit there down this little street corner and cry. Cried, cried, cried. Just And this young woman walks by and she said, hey, I saw you here on my way to lunch and I see that you're still here crying. And I just wanted to know if you needed any support right now. And I said, just you asking was like the most generous thing you could have offered. And it's all I needed. Thank you so much. And then she kind of asked what was going on. I, I basically gave her the shorthand. I said, I lost my job with 24 hours notice, not because I was fired, but because it's related to the furlough thing going on in the state of California. She goes, oh, that's terrible. I'm so sorry. So if we have our egg and we have our snowy forest with our little baby birds, we can walk up to somebody who might be crying on the sidewalk and ask them, are you okay? Do you need anything? Mm. Without feeling scared that we're going to become consumed by this other person's pain. 
And also without feeling frightened of saying, hey, I can hold space for five minutes and then I got to get back to work. Like also doing so with a bit of a boundary and an expectation set so that this person doesn't actually swallow you whole, you know, with their pain. So Tracy and I continue to talk and talk and talk. (laughs) But I wanted to jump in here because I love that idea of Tracy's egg walk. Um, and as you know, I'm wonderful. We, you know, we always like to take a piece of a fragment of what the guest has said and turn it into an experience that we can try on for ourselves. So what I'm going to suggest is for the next 10 minutes, we try out this idea of an egg walk. And here's what I suggest we do, which is first, take yourself to a place in your mind where you're really in your element. You're relaxed, you're in flow, you're the you that you really like to be. And, and, and really just imagine that place and imagine who you are when you're in that place. Yeah? So get that state. And take that state, whatever it may be, a picture, maybe a feeling, a color, whatever it is, and take Tracy's egg and fill that egg, that big egg that's a bit bigger than the size of you, fill it with that feeling. Great. So now we've got an egg filled with you at your most unus, yeah? Where you're feeling great. Life is good. Now step into that egg, imaginary egg, and let's take it for a walk. For the next 10 minutes, I'd love you to just walk around. Concentrate really on two things. Keep that feeling in the egg strong. And the second thing is remember the egg doesn't have a hard shell. The idea is this is a this is a a feeling that leaks out, radiates out into the world around you. Um, and just see what happens when you do that. Doesn't matter where you are or when you do this, whether the sun is shining or it's pouring rain, whether you're feeling good or feeling not so good. See if you can unreasonably and as a choice create that zone of experience that you want to be having when you're feeling great and just see what effect that has on you and the world around you as we go for a little wander. So, I'm stepping into my egg. I'm imagining myself in Italy, by the barbecue, with a glass of wine, looking out over the valley, filling up my egg with that, and off I go. So welcome back. Uh, crack that egg if you need to. Um, melt it or whatever. Step out of it. Uh, shake yourself off. Interesting. Really interesting. I don't know how it was for you and I'd love to hear. So do, uh, do let us know on Instagram. Um, but for me what was interesting was two things. Me and my element was um, standing by the barbecue in Italy with a glass of wine in one hand and looking out over the valley and hearing my family behind me. That's, that's really an image that often comes to me um, as me in my element. And the first thing I noticed was that it's actually really easy to carry. I find it very easy to carry that image around with me. 
And as I did so, um, it was almost as though the people passing me were guests at the barbecue. I was able, the human brain is able to kind of be in two places at once. You're in this place, but you can imagine yourself in another, which my brain said to me, yes, it's a daydream. And I thought, gosh. And then I thought, how often am I doing the opposite? How often am I going around with an egg filled with darkness? <laughs> because our daydreams can very often be about anticipated you know, worries about something that's happening or going to happen, anticipated problems, general sense of, I don't know, self-pity, no, no one understands me, tiredness, whatever. And my mind said to me, remember to choose your daydreams. So really interesting for me, it's like, you know, you're like the film director, that film that's around you. So be the film director, be intentional about it. There's nothing, there's nothing about always being sparkly and bright, but just know that you, you call the shots. Thank you, Tracy. Thank you for the egg walk. Surprising result for me. Love to hear what the result is for you, for, for you guys. Um, as we come to the end of this episode of Wonderful, keep your eyes open for the next one, which is wending its way down the, the crooked road of life towards you. Just want to thank Tracy Rubel for who she is and what she does. I want to thank Andrew for doing the egg walk alongside me, Andrew, our producer. You can get out of your egg now. Now get out of it. He got into it. He's, he's telling me he got into his egg without a spoon, so he can't get out of it. That is a man that takes metaphors really seriously. Very good. And thank you, friends. Without you wandering with us, this would be but uh, a solitary exercise. So thank you. Wanderellas and Wanderfellas, look forward to wandering again next time when we get together at, uh, at Wonderful for some inspiration on the go. See you soon. P.S. If you haven't already turned off uh, the podcast, this is a little bonus. Um, after we finished, Andrew and I kept talking about our experiences with Tracy's egg walk and there were just a couple of other things that occurred um, and that's the way insight works it doesn't all happen at once so a couple of additional things that I was thinking is we're always in an egg <laughs> essentially what Tracy's doing is getting aware of that but I think that quite a lot of the time I walk around in an egg of my own making um, and I'm not aware of it. So I think maybe there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's another exercise you could do, which is, what egg am I in? And whose egg is that? Sometimes you know, we find ourselves in a, in a daydream, not of our own making. Um, I think if you, know, you hear a news item and it stays with you all day, and, um, but that wasn't really of your making. It, it's something that you've... Um, been sent and may have taken on without thinking about it so that was it really is just be aware probably you're always in, in an egg um and um the joke i made to andrew about he's in the egg but he hasn't got a spoon so he doesn't know how to get out i think actually there's a little bit of truth in that as well which is when we discover an egg how do we get in out of the egg and i think probably 
wiser people than me would say, well, first notice you're in the egg, <laughs> and that will probably dissolve the edges of it. Um, and then maybe put a zipper in the egg, uh, and just unzip the egg, step out, and realize you can go back in, uh, or, or step right out, um, you can make the choice. So there it is, another couple of insights. I need to go lie down now. See you soon, and till I see you, have a wonderful time. Bye. You can find out more about these mindful walking techniques at streetwisdom.org, a global nonprofit founded by David Pearl. Street Wisdom is an everyday creative practice you use as you walk to help you unblock your mind and to find clarity and inspiration. Follow us on socials at streetwisdom underscore for free guided in-person and online workshops. You got it, walking workshops. You can also download our audio guides on Spotify. Just search for Street Wisdom. Happy wandering.